where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello, we're back for episode 7 of season 7 of Cheers. You know I love saying the number 7, John. <laughs> it's a... Uh, I know, can't believe we're already 7 episodes into the season. The 7-7 seven, seven one. How to win friends and electrocute people, of course, named after the uh, motivating self-help book. Yeah, which is... I can't actually remember the name of the self-help book, James. How to win friends and influence people. See, this is because I, I, I know the how to lose friends and alienate people before I knew the... Yeah, the Simon Pegg, Megan Fox film. Yeah, so I, I knew that more than I knew uh, the, the proper version. But this one's a little bit different because it's about electrocuting people. Well, hey, this episode aired <laughs> on the 15th of December, 1988. It was directed by James Burroughs and written by Fief Sutton. And it's a fun one, isn't it? Yeah, it is a fun one. I'm trying to think of an electricity pun. It's not coming to mind, but it will. Oh, well, I guarantee we'll at least get about six or seven through this episode. We'll work up to it. Should we start with the, the cold open? Yeah, I think I think that's the best place to start. And it's a it's a quick little funny one. Not really much much influence on the whole episode, but it starts with Woody in the bar alone. He's uh, he's sweeping, the bar is closed, and an advert appears on the TV for a party line. Nothing better to do than watch TV. Feeling a little lonely in the big city. Come and join the party. Call 555-PRTY. For the best party line in Boston, that's right. There are lots of fun people on the line right now waiting for you to join in their fun talk. This is a fairly new concept to me, but it sounds like the audio equivalent to chat roulette, which is dangerous. It is a bit like that. And it, yeah, I, I thought you were wishing so. I think this is a bit new for the era when it came out, but you went new to me. And I was like, oh, they probably don't still function, I don't think. I mean, yeah, it's the things like chat roulette now, but I just find it a... Uh, it's a weird concept. It is an odd concept. Do you want a stranger to talk to you? But th- therein lies the twist. But the, the thing is as well, uh, I'm not really... Because Woody's always slightly innocent. <laughs> and I'm not sure what he thinks he's going to call... He was ready for Girls Gone Wild, wasn't he? He was a bit. That, that was very much what the advert promised. Uh, he, <laughs> False he called, advertising! <laughs> he called the number and introduces himself. And that's where the, the butt of the joke is. And I'll let you say it, James. Oh, it's your boy uh, Clifford C. Clavin on the other end of the phone. The thing is, though, Woody doesn't seem disappointed by that. No, he's like, Cliff? Him? Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'd be disappointed if I rang a mystery number... And it was Cliff. For one simple reason. If I'm promised a mystery number, I want a mystery chat partner. If I wanted to call Cliff, I'd just call Cliff. (laughs) Well, I suppose it it does make you, I suppose it points to this fact of how many lonely people are out there. Just two. That's it. But should we, should we charge on to the main episode? That's one down. That was good, James. (laughs) That's one. Yeah. (laughs) And it's seemingly fit. Yeah, I mean, it was slightly ham-handed and forced in, but we'll take it. We'll take anything we get. We had a slow start. It's it's like a t-shirt that you've owned since you were a teenager. It still fits, but it requires <laughs> there's some effort. <laughs> we enter the bar and Rebecca is having a bit of a photo shoot uh, because a magazine or uh, 
the newspaper is putting together an article on women who run bars. It's a great idea. The only downside is Rebecca doesn't particularly like being photographed and finds it difficult to get a natural photograph. I don't think anybody likes posing for photographs. Well, I, I like, I don't like posing for photographs. <laughs> it's, 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 it's what I mean. And when I do pose for photographs, I go for a uh, self-aware kind of bad pose. The kind of pose that you look back at it and you laugh because it's, because it's weird, you know? I go for like a, a, a sort of un, unaware and unconscious blue steel. Sometimes you whip out the finger gun. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you do that as well. <laughs> I don't think anyone particularly likes. Well, I suppose some people do. Perhaps models. You know, the people who get paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca's not particularly comfortable in front of the camera. And the cameraman is trying to sort of coax her into a natural photo. And he, he finds a way of doing that. He points at Sam and says, I laugh at this guy. Think of something ridiculous, like like this guy here. And Rebecca's like, ah, he is ridiculous. <laughs> <And> <laughs> He said that that was better than the Snoopy puppets he uses with kids. This is another thing I did when taking photos. You know how they often told you to say cheese when taking a photo mm. of you? And the only reason they did this was so your mouth parted like it looked like a smile in the E bit of, yeah. the, of the cheese. Mm. I said cheese in the most lackluster way possible. <laughs> just <laughs> just to annoy them. <laughs> cheese. That, that feels like you'd get a very grumpy picture out of that though, Jibs. Yeah, I know. And it was great. Fair <laughs> <laughs> enough. The photographer who, you know, took like school photos when I was in school, he was very good, very personable. And he was able to actually make you laugh by making jokes, not sloopy puppets. But, you know, he, he was very good at kind of gauging the personality of people and mm. getting them to figuring out what would make them smile and laugh. You know, he was it's very good. So I'm not knocking photography as a as a profession or as a skill set. I was just quite self-aware and deliberately <laughs> deliberately went against the grain because I knew I wasn't going to get a good picture anyway. So I may as well screw myself over. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Fair enough. And that that sort of sets up one of the plots, but it's not the main plot, is it, James? No. In fact, there's about th- there's sort of three little running stories, maybe even a four with a, a really small one as well. It's an episode with a lot going on. The main plot, well, the, the plot which gives the title, I wouldn't necessarily call a plot because the main crux of it takes place in only two scenes. There's not really a conflict to overcome. It's here's the situation, here's how someone reacts to the situation. There's not really any effort to do anything about it. I tell you what, should we should we kickstart that story and have a bit of conversation about it? Then we'll go through the other ones and come back round to it. After Rebecca's had a photo taken, Cliff enters the bar and he's got a bit of news. Oh, he's got to have a surgery, appendectomy or something, isn't it? He bigs it up and then they go, oh, just just that. I don't think I've ever been for a routine surgery. All of my surgeries have been not routine. M- emergency, that's the phrase. <laughs> yeah, I've never had anything like a uh, appendix or, or tonsils is the other one that gets a mention. Because Woody mentions that. I've, I've still got mine. We're not. There's not much to talk about here, but a lot of people consider it a rite of passage of sorts, don't they? Having your appendix or your tonsils out because it's a uh, a very routine, very common thing. I've been trying to get rid of mine for years. 
<laughs> to anyone who wants it just <laughs> just just get endless trouble every time there's like a problem i go i say ah oh, can i have them removed and they go no well, you should see john at the at the bar he just hands a scalpel <laughs> to, the, to the nearest bartender and just goes my appendix just, oh i'm just tired of it <laughs> no no not appendix tonsils tonsils I don't, oh, okay. i'm not quite sure what an appendix does to be honest nothing it's it used to serve a purpose in the digestion of of meat or carbohydrates i think but we've since evolved to the point where it's it's mostly superfluous you know i got that from scrubs so it might be wrong but i trust them and then quickly after we hear this news from cliff we actually get the setup of the next sort of thing which is going to happen in this episode which is some news from fraser and lilith that they're planning a little bit of a holiday Oh, yes. I preferred this storyline, <laughs> to be honest. I would have liked to have seen more of it. I think it's they, they set up a lot in this episode that they don't go into any of them that much. Here you go, James. What are they planning on driving around America in? A car. Could it be a Volkswagen? <laughs> well That's played. Good, that, that was good. Yeah, that I tell you why that was so good. It was it was a pun in two languages. <laughs> uh, but they're actually they're going in a Mercedes. I, I, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> for the pun, John, for the pun. <laughs> it was mainly for the pun, if I'm honest. Did you write that down before the episode? No, no. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I believe I never you. come into the episodes thinking, "Oh, let's get lots of puns in here." You just gotta. We we said we put an unwarranted pressure on ourselves at the beginning, saying we're going to do lots of puns, and then I quickly panic and I, I Google <laughs> topic puns. Isn't there a James Acaster line? Panicked, had a breakdown, bon appetit. <laughs> I'm just waiting until I can say that hurts with a Z. Oh, oh well played, well played. Yes. But, you know, I got to wait for the appropriate time, maybe. But anyhow, uh, Lilith and Fraser are going to be driving around America, but Lilith needs to learn how to drive, and she approaches Sam for some lessons. This is true, and I don't know why she approaches Sam. I'll tell you for why, James. I mean, for of all people, like everyone in Shears drives, apart from Lilith, why Sam? She says she approaches Sam because she wants someone who she has like zero uh, feelings for, or, or any emotion for. Ah, and she she hates Cliff and she's friends with Rebecca. She says she has no emotional attachment to him whatsoever. She's probably right. Thing is, I, I like Lilith because she says what I think a lot of people are thinking. <laughs> she does follow up and says, so as a friend, would you do me this favour? But he does agree. Sam obviously has a Corvette. He's very proud of his, of his Corvette. And he offers to, to teach Lilith to drive, which prompts the question for me, does he rent a Mercedes and teach her to drive in a Mercedes or teach her to drive in his Corvette? I don't know. You'd need to drive in a similar enough car. You're not going to be driving a DeLorean and then and then <laughs> getting, you know, a Mini Cooper, are you? It's different. My kind it's- of assumptions with America road trips, yeah, is that you don't really, and you know, this could cause a lot of, <laughs> it could be heated argument here, James. I assume you don't really know how, need to know how to drive to, to go across. Like, as long as you've got someone who's going to tackle intersections and things like that, and once you get into cities. But other than that, it's like open, open so, road, you know? So what you're saying is for long stretches of straight road, there's not as much driving yeah. skills as with intersections and, and busy busy highways and yeah. whatnot. She could take the wheel for those portions. Yeah, and I agree. I 
have not passed my driving test. It's been years since I've driven, but the long bits of road, which go on for miles, and there's no one else around, oh, I'm, I'm great at that. When I'm around people and other, <laughs> other cars... We don't really have them in England, just long stretches of road. No, no, that's true. You, you don't. And I bet you, even if there was the chance, they'd make it in a big zigzag. Difficult. They put it round a hill as well, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> so that sets up their story. And the, the final other bit is a little bit of a tiff that's going on in the bar, James. Do you remember this tiff? It's barely a plot, but it is a tiff. Middle part of the whole episode. Yeah, you're invested in this. I, I am very invested. All right, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what the tiff is, ladies and gentlemen. And then John can share his opinions, whether you like it or not. Because John has strong opinions. It's about the Munsters versus the Adams family. Norm and Hugh are on different sides of this debate, and they almost get thrown out of the bar. Now, John, you've recently been rewatching one of these, the classic, haven't you? I've been watching the Munsters, James. The the original sixties version. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've been watching the Munsters. I got it for Christmas. The box set. <laughs> I love that you and I are are very quickly regressing into old man status. <laughs> what do you do? I just have a nice dressing gown and watch the monsters. <laughs> but do you know what, James? It's, I understand why it's a hot debate. It was actually I wake up at six a.m. and I put the monsters on. <laughs> is that is that because you need to wake up to go to the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> But here's a, here's a bit of a fact for you, James. The Adams Family debuted on ABC on September the 18th, 1964. And the Munsters followed on CBS uh, on the 24th of September, 1964. Just weeks apart. Ooh. Well, that's a bar fight for us, isn't it, John? Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. It's believed that the Munsters actually filmed their episodes first. I believe the Munsters got better, better ratings, but... And this is where I, I think the Munsters is better. But I'll concede and say I think the Adams Family probably has a stronger legacy. Yes, well, it's the old um, VHS Betamax war, isn't it? Betamax came out first. They had a higher quality disc. It did, yeah. Uh, but, but VHS was easier. It's what the people wanted. They didn't need it too high, high res. But yeah, I think I think that the '90s Adams Family films as well helps solidify it as well. I think Raoul Julia and Angelica Houston were perfectly cast, mm-hmm. and Christopher Lloyd, who of course was in Cheers, yeah, yeah. as Fester. It means to what? <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose are there other connections with the Adams Family and Cheers? I mean, I know you know them, James. I feel like once you say them, uh, I'll be like, oh, of course. BB B- Earth was uh, Morticia in uh, the, the Adams Family musical when it was on Broadway. Of course she was. And she, well, she would have been perfect at it. You know, I think they've called her Morticia at some point. <laughs> I saw the UK tour of the Adams Family, James. I'll say it again, John. You, <laughs> you, you clearly, I mean, my parents did the same where they just recorded what was on TV when they were young and then gave you the tapes. <laughs> I'm what do you high, mean? Every, everyone grew up with the monsters and, and Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen the Twilight Zone. Well, James, are you, who would you pick? Uh, the Adams Family or the Monsters? I would pick the Adams Family. However, I think that, and this may have been due to the 90s films, I think that they went for different vibes. I think the Adams Family were more 
gothic, you know, and, mm. and more baroque, perhaps. Whereas I think the monsters were more your classic horror characters and they used the concept, which has been repeated a fair few times in things like uh, Twilight, Being Human, etc., where they went, what if we put these various mythical creatures into a specific setting? Whereas I think mm. with the Adams Family, there wasn't very much in terms of mythology. It was similar to Elvira, these just kind of dark, gothic characters. I think the monsters influenced a lot of people, but I think subjectively, I prefer the Adams Family. Uh, I think that's a well well put case. Yeah. I go for the monsters. I just it's good, James. It's good. The grandpa's a vampire. The dad's a Frankenstein's monster. The boy's a little werewolf. Uh, but before we uh, move on, James, I just want to give you a couple of pun titles from the monsters, which I think you might appreciate, and then we can swiftly move on. Uh, My fair monster. Uh, a walk on the mild side. There's also one called uh, locale monster when when the dad goes on a diet. That's not a pun, that's just words. (laughs) I mean, a lot of them just have the word monster in there. And I take them as puns, James. (laughs) That's not how it works. A pun needs to sound vaguely like the thing it's referencing, so people know it's a pun. You don't want to be curious over the pun. As our artist for our uh, Facebook banner once said, uh, she she said she came up with the word for when you're trying to figure out whether something is a pun. Suspension. <laughs> ah. This is this is why uh, she made the banner for us. You know, we all love puns here. <laughs> Nobody knows your name. <laughs> or more accurately, sure. I love puns and I made everyone else love puns. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me, I've still got to get like three more electricity puns in here by the end. We'll see what's what. That's two. Should we go back into the episode? Uh, because Rebecca comes to the bar and the newspaper's... Uh, been published and i uh, tell you what james it's a good photo it is a good photo so we hear you don't see it <laughs> there's one thing james which is a bit shocking get out of <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, that the photo doesn't actually sit within the article it sits within the obituaries that is a shame yeah not what rebecca wanted uh corporate send flowers <laughs> <laughs> Which the card that they send with them says something like, at least she's out of her misery or something. Which is really harsh coming from corporate, because they're the people who put her in her misery. Yeah, I mean, it seems... I mean, she's clearly not happy with that, but I don't think she really tries to change it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, though. The episode, that story sort of ends with her just going, I better get on the phone with corporate. And that's sort of the end of that one, I believe. So you say there were three plots. There's, there's, uh, <laughs> we've closed two of them. <laughs> yeah. Fraser comes into the bar and he asks uh, everyone if they've visited Cliff. I believe. Yeah, he says, "Oh, we haven't heard from Cliff for a while," and they haven't. And it's because he's been in surgery for this appendectomy. He went to Massachusetts General, which is where Lilith works. Is it? Well, she's one of the psychiatrists there. I find that so odd <laughs> that Lilith works where Cliff is a patient and Fraser's resolution to no one visiting Cliff doesn't include that fact. <laughs> I find that bizarre. Yeah, that is a bit a bit of an oversight maybe. But um, he goes around and asks people if they're going to go and everyone gives sort of a few excuses. 
And then Fraser offers that it's on his rounds for work. He'll take a card from everyone. It's nice, but he's less than ecstatic about it. All right. Well, I, I see. Yeah, it was quite a good one. It was quite a good one. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know where you were going. The game's on now. <laughs> the secret, listeners, is that although I love puns, I merely led John to water. Like a horse, and eventually, eventually, you can you can make him drink. And <laughs> look at how he's supping up those puns. I tell you what, Fraser does arrive at the hospital. He thinks Cliff has been discharged uh, and been uh, <laughs> let go, so they can return home. Where is Mr. Clay? He was just discharged. Oh, great! Just my luck. I'm the one who gets to run over town to find a stupid card for the idiot Clayman. He isn't even here. <laughs> Just a token of how much we care. Cliff is quite wounded, because what Cliff said really hurts. Another one, James. This... Another one. I'm catching up. Do you know what? I thought we'd get a five in the whole episode, but... this We said this would be a podcast about cheers. We're just going to be making electricity puns, so enjoy! Wait, wait, till, the, wait, wait till the scene that actually involves electricity comes into it. <laughs> After he does see Cliff... He then reads out the card pun, um, which we're not going to bother with because, you know, who, who cares about that, James? Oh, electricity <laughs> puns. <laughs> Cliff realises that he might need to make some changes because maybe his friends don't like him as much as he first thought and maybe his uh, know-it-all behaviour has sort of backfired on him. Yeah. And at first he doesn't really realise this. And, you know, he sits, he sits down and he goes... You know, am I really that inconsiderate? But he leans on this man who's in who's in the bed, who's clearly been... <laughs> oh, you see where this is going. Who's clearly been subject to some kind of assault and battery. Oh, battery. Anyway, that that was partly to make a pun, but also partly to make the point that Cliff is inconsiderate because he sits on this old man in, <laughs> who's in a hospital bed. <laughs> After they stand up, ECT is mentioned, electroconvulsive therapy. And Fraser goes, oh, I don't think you need that. And the old man goes, oh, yeah, I think he does. <laughs> and before we talk too much about Cliff's bright idea, I'm taking that for one, uh, we get to the payoff of Sam's lessons to Lilith for driving. Uh, and... He seems a bit shocked by the experience. Uh, Lilith uh, was quite an angry driver, I'd say. She was clearly infused with some road rage. Fraser becomes a little bit uh, scared about the road trip that they got ahead. And that sort of closes that story. Sam doesn't want to drive her around anymore. I do love her quote about it, about her being jazzed. Hello, Fraser. Ah! Hello, Blossom Bottom. How was your lesson? I like driving. It's a wonderful feeling. Total control of woman over machine. The speed, the power, the ecstasy. I was jazzed. You know, it's not a phrase we use anymore. <laughs> she does have sort of a full driving getup. She's got driving gloves as well. But we find out that her reckless driving got Sam in a fight where we find out he headbutted someone in the fist. That's <laughs> how uh, she put it. <laughs> yep. I mostly blame Lilith for this. She's a... Uh... She's a wild one here. But she seems to have been able to learn enough about driving that she can drive her own Frasier around. And I think that brings us to the sort of finale of this episode, James, which is Cliff's arrival back at the bar with rare scene, which is sort of in the um, the doors outside of Cheers. The little alleyway, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like that's the first time we've seen that angle of the show, at least before. It is the first time, I think, yeah. It's weirdly small. <laughs> like, I don't know what I was expecting it to be, but I thought it would have been larger. He's got this sort of doctor who said it's highly unusual for them to uh, use... What, what's the, the term? E- electro... Electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah, highly unusual to use electric truck therapy outside of the hospital. It's what they do, or used to do, before, you know, animal cruelty laws, to, to train dogs, didn't they? Hmm. Well, it's a little bit like the Pavlovian dog as well, where uh, it's response therapy, isn't it? It is response therapy, but Pavlovian association is classical conditioning, whereas what mm. is happening here is operant conditioning. Uh, I've talked previously before about the Skinner box, which is very similar to this. Uh, do you remember the Skinner box? I don't. I don't remember the Skinner box. Pigeon in a box. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Science. <laughs> it was designed by... B.F. Skinner, and I think in I think the early 1950s, and there was a pigeon in a box, and this little, almost like a tiny dumb waiter, dispensed food. If the pigeon pecked a specific button, the food came out. If mm. it pecked a different button, the floor was shocked, so it get a little electric shock. This is operant conditioning because it's learned based on two stimuli: what to do and what not to do. I suppose this is the thing which uh, Cliff decides to bring this into the bar and has a doctor sort of waiting in the the background, listening in on his conversations. What I think is sort of slightly ironic about this situation is if Cliff was ever going to get attention in an appropriate setting of when he would get attention and be the centre of attention, it's when you've come right out of hospital and people want to see how you are. Yeah, they tolerate you a bit more, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, but whenever they ask him a question, he has to try and divert it onto other people to seem nice and not self-centred. Well, he's he's a lot more grounded than usual. Mm. I think that's one. And ah, uh, oh, that is one. That was that's when you know the the puns have got too too uh, highbrow for me. <laughs> but yeah, so Cliff Cliff is sort of he is grounded, but the he's trying his best. But they're giving him lots of opportunities to talk because they want to make him feel valued because they didn't go and see him. So they sort of bring up a slightly hypothetical fact that they want trivia on and ask him for trivia. And he has to sort of look to the doctor, have a sidebar with the doctor to discuss whether he can actually answer these things. Yeah, yeah, they did ask. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor himself gets a little bit trigger happy. Oh, he gets very trigger happy. I think one point he just looks at Rebecca and he zaps him. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. Rebecca walks past and the doctor gives a glance, presses the button and Cliff goes, what would you do that for? And he goes, yeah, my, my thumb spasmed. I think this doctor is the wrong person to be given the button. Well, that, that, that happens pretty quickly because Cliff gets very fed up with this guy and they have a bit of a fight. Cliff gets the button and says, now you all know how it feels and tries to zap him by pointing the button at him. But of course, he's still wearing the electricity pack. He zaps himself. But the, the gang kind of say, they apologise for not coming to the hospital, but they also say, we're sorry you felt like you had to do this kind of thing. If you were shocking yourself, it would be very difficult to unshock yourself because, of course, when you're... I say, of course, like everyone knows. <laughs> when you're being electrocuted, your muscles tense. So therefore, mm. it would be like a dead man's switch, wouldn't it? Scary thought, really. You learn something new every day. I've learned, lo- I've learned lots of things new in this episode, James. I'm a fountain of... I'm not a fountain of information. I'm like a leaky faucet of information, is what I am. Something that you need to call the plumber around for. 
Cliff does end with a, a nice gesture at the end where he says he's a big enough man to accept their apology, uh, but he's, he does say, I guess there's a few things I could change about my personality, and then says, here's what I'll start with, and then orders a round of champagne for everyone. Ah, oh, which is nice. You mentioned everyone. Should we talk about who everyone is? Yes, definitely. It's, of course, B.B. Newith as Dr. Lilith Stonen, Robert Benedetti as Dave. He also appeared in The Bionic Woman, Hill Street Blues, Newhart, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Growing Pains, Quantum Leap, and many more. Steve Bean as Reporter. That's a great name, Steve Bean. As Reporter, this was his film and TV debut. He also appeared in Murder, She Wrote, Quantum Leap, Married with Children, Coach, Dave's World, Mouse Hunt, Dama and Greg, Third Rock from the Sun, Charmed, Veronica Mars, Monk, Days of Our Lives, Shameless, Ray Donovan, and many more. Hugh McGuire as Hugh, Al Rosen as Al, Ed Wright as Mr. McManus, uh, Cliff's hospital roommate. He also appeared in The Chicken Chronicles, Summer of Fear, Flying Guard, Starsky and Hutch, When a Stranger Calls, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks, and others. Shirley Prestia as Nurse. She also appeared in Pandemonium, St. Elsewhere, ER, Family Ties, Benson, Fame, The Golden Girls, Married with Children, Night Court, Mr. Belvedere, Alf, Knott's Landing, LA Law, Mad About You, Party of Five, NYPD Blue, Babylon Five, Leave It to Beaver, Home Improvement, Will and Grace, Dharma and Greg, and many more. That was a, lo- that was a long one. All, all of them were something and something. <laughs> something and something. Oh, lists. Andrew Lowry as Delivery Boy. He also appeared in Falcon Crest, Baywatch, Family of Spies, Night Court, A Different World, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, All-American Girl, Cost of Living, and many more. Alan Koss as Alan, Peter Schreiner as Pete, and Conrad Hurt is uncredited as Bar Patron. He also appeared in Season 5, Episode 4, Abnormal Psychology, which I find interesting. And then you've missed one person off there, James. Al Rosen. And Al is the final line. Perfect way to end this episode because uh, Cliff is getting electrocuted. Al has the, probably my favourite line in this episode, as many Al lines. <laughs> he says, dance mailman. Dance mailman. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trivia pal, James. And that means one thing. It means we've got lots of lovely mail from Cliff. He's, he's come back from the hospital with some packages. Thanks, Cliff. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. So, uh, so John, what's your first question? So I tell you what, James, we've just said these letters have come from Cliff's hospital room. But where was Cliff's hospital room? I want the hospital room number and I want to know the visiting hours, James. Visiting hours 5 till 8 and the hospital room 11B. I mean, I'm wrong on both accounts, but I said it with yeah, confidence. Was, <laughs> you said it with confidence, didn't it? Your confidence made me doubt my answers. Uh, the room is 194 and the visiting hours were 11 till 9. But I uh, applaud you for that. Should see me scrambling for my notes. Go, what? what? Oh, yeah. No, I knew I was wrong as soon as the question was asked. <laughs> it's all about confidence. Who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People? Oh, I have no idea. But I can tell you've been reading that with how you answered the last question. Who was it, James? Dale Carnegie. So as part of uh, Fraser and Lilith's road trip, they said they're going to sort of cover quite a few places. The Grand Canyon being one of them. Yosemite, probably. Uh, but where did Woody suggest they should visit? Tallahassee. 
He said an alligator farm outside of Tallahassee. I find it interesting, you know why? Why? Because Woody Harrelson has played a character called Tallahassee. Uh, is that in uh, the, the zombie? The zombie land films, yeah. Hugh almost left the bar. Why? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Norm insulted Cousin It. Oh, I should have known that. We mentioned that Rebecca was going to be featured in an article about female bar owners in Boston. But what was the publisher? The newspaper or magazine? Uh, well, I'll tell you why. It's got uh, Shakespearean connections. It's the Globe. It is the Globe, which is, of course, that, that's the name of the theatre that lots of the Shakespeare plays. Shakespeare did his plays, yeah. Class it up, why don't we? I've got another classic question. What song does Cliff sing his answering machine message to? Oh, I don't know. It's Volare. What? Norm says that the answering machine message is to that song. I can tell you how I think it goes. Hello there, it's Cliff Caven. I'm sorry, I'm not (laughs) at home. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I think it goes. I think that was probably spot on there, James. I've got no more questions. Yeah, that's my questions done. That's last call at the bar then, James. I know, I think we've got a lot to toast here, but I suppose we know what we're drinking because Cliff's ordered a free round of drink. But what shall we have? I think it needs to be something... Something with electrolytes. <laughs> oh, uh, I found one. I'll get, do you want me to give you a clue? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it is electricity themed, right? It is electricity themed. Let's say Blade Runner. Neon? Neon something? Oh, it's simpler than that. It's Electric uh. Dreams. We'll always be together, no matter how far it seems. <laughs> is that going to go on the, on the playlist? Uh, well, it is now. Uh, <laughs> do you want the pun score? Don't get your wires crossed with the scores. Uh, John, you just got in the lead with that. Oh, John has just won with this wires crossed. Yeah, John has won with six and a half points to my six. <laughs> well done. I mean, I've got a lot of pride in that. <laughs> it's the half points that you know. You've won, John, it's fine. But anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. It's been a fun one. We certainly enjoyed it, and uh, and we hope you did too. Next episode, I'll tell you what, it's going to be even more exciting. So stay tuned. (laughs) 